Hello, and welcome to the Preview Spotlight on the Comic Book Cage Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be spotlighting items from the current month's previews catalog. This is Preview Spotlight number 183 for the February 2023 solicitations. In this episode, we'll be going over some of the items in the upcoming solicitations that you might find interesting. Now, comics are a pre-order business, so whether we like it or not, it behooves us to take a look at what's going to be offered a couple of months out and let our retailers know so they can order appropriately. Now, these episodes have an open submission policy, and I encourage you to send in clips to promote the comics you love as often as you can. Now, there are thousands of items solicited every month, and it's easy for things to get lost in the shuffle or just fly beneath your radar. We'll be starting with the DC Connect catalog, followed by the Marvel's Previews catalog, and then working our way through the Diamond Previews catalog. Obviously, we aren't going to go item by item, or page by page, or even publisher by publisher. We're just going to hit the highlights, and those highlights are picked by people like you. So with that, let's get going. My first pick is the pre-order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel Previews, and Diamond Previews. I find these incredibly helpful to find out what's coming out a few months from now and kind of plan my order appropriately. Sometimes there's stuff that sounds good on paper, but I look at the art or something about the solicitation doesn't work for me, or there's something that I wouldn't have noticed unless, you know, the art had caught my eye or the solicitation looks pretty cool or something like that. Matter of fact, there have been a couple of times where I'll see something and realize I missed the first two issues or something like that and and go order them. So just flipping through these catalogs is kind of my monthly equivalent of the old Sears Toys catalog when I was a kid of, you know, finding out what cool things were out there to be had and then making sure I got them as, as best I could. So whether you get the printed catalogs or not, this information is available online at the various websites for the distributors and the publishers and such. Comics are a pre-order business. It makes sense to know what's coming out so you can let your retailer know so they can have it so you can get it. So once again, my first pick is the pre-order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel Previews, and Diamond Previews. Hey, this is James here with my first pick in the DC Connect. And the first thing I noticed was a new Green Arrow is coming out on page number two. And the writer is someone that we know very well. He was kind of, I guess, the architect, and he wrote The Last Crisis, even though I I, I didn't care for The Crisis too much. But I did want to read this Green Arrow book. It's Joshua Williamson, the writer. The art and covers by Sean, I'm going to butcher this, Isaacsy? Isaacsy? I don't know. But the art, you know, there's some sample interior pages. Looks really nice and detailed. So I think he did a good job. But anyways, what I'm looking forward to we haven't seen Green Arrow for a little while in the DCU. This is part of the dawn of the DC universe, so new stuff coming out, changes, I don't know. And this is a character that, if it's written well, I will enjoy it. So I'll see. I'm really testing this one. And it says in the real big box, the Green Arrow family reunion years in the making. So it looks like you're going to get a lot of the characters that you've seen on the TV show just by the picture here, and characters in general that you may or may not like, depending on if you're a Green Arrow fan. I'm on board for it. It says, I'll read you the solicit here. The Emerald Archer is lost, 
and it will take Oliver Queen's whole family to find him. But dangerous forces are determined to keep them apart at any cost. So technically, I guess we won't get Ollie at the beginning. It's the whole family looking for him. Spinning out a dark crisis on Infinite Earths, Green Arrow by DC architect Joshua Williamson is an action-packed adventure across the DCU that sets the stage for major stories in 2023. It's a six-issue limited series, so it's only one of six. So I guess it's not going to be that monumental of a series because they're already planning for it to end. But with Marvel and DC, they've moved to these six and five issue miniseries quite a bit. I guess the titles can't really maintain unless they're of a certain ilk, super popular characters. But I'm on board. I'm going to check it out. I'm only in for six issues. See how I like it. And it's part of that dawn of the DCU. Let's check it out and on to my next pick. Hi, guys. It's Chris Myers, back from the wilderness with some uh, selections for the preview spotlight. First up is in the DC catalog. It's Green Arrow number one. The Emerald Archer is lost, and it will take Oliver Queen's whole family to find him. But dangerous forces are determined to keep them apart. This spins out of Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, which I did not read. And the solicit says it's an action-packed adventure across the DCU that sets the stage for major stories in 2023. That's really the part that caught my attention, so I'm curious to see what's going to happen. It's written by Joshua Williamson, and the art is by Sean Izaxi. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But it's going to be on sale April 25th, 23, for $3.99, and it's one of six. Miniseries seems to be a theme in the DC catalog this month. So now on to the next pick. This is a take with a pick from the DC Connect special catalog. It is Green Arrow number one on page number two of the catalog. And there were a couple of people who were sending in recordings on this, I believe. So I'm not going to belabor any points on the solicitation here. But the cover looks cool. We've got the whole Green Arrow family, as it were, plus also a couple of interesting additions like Peacemaker in the background. So we'll see exactly what they intend with this series. Mentions it's spinning out a dark crisis. And seems to be a launching point for some future stories that uh, maybe are in Joshua Williamson's corner of the universe. So hopefully these stories are kind of going along symbiotically with everything else in the universe and not tearing it apart with multiple divergent storylines and things. But the preview art looks great. The premise of being a launching point for other things to come, to me, sounds good. Uh, and I'm hoping that this is a good miniseries. Hi guys, it's Chris Myers again. Next up in the DC catalog is Superboy, The Man of Tomorrow, number one. Connor Kent takes center stage. After the events of Dark Crisis, Connor feels out of place with the rest of the hero community. So he looks to the stars as a place he might be able to call his own and carve out his own path. What lurks in the great unknown? This is on sale April 18th, 2023, for $3.99, and it is also one of six. I remember reading the Connor Kent Superboy. I believe it was in the 90s. I've read most of them, and I enjoyed them. They were sort of lighthearted and fun. I don't know what this is going to be like, but I remember that, so I thought this might be worth taking a look at. All right, on to the next pick. This is Nick with another pick from the DC Connect special catalog. This time from page four, it's Superboy, the Man of Tomorrow, number one of six. Yes, this was the contest winner from last year, you know, March Madness thing. 
that's finally just coming out now in time for this April. There's been a couple of people who were planning to submit some clips on this one, so I'm not going to go into all the solicitation details. But what caught my attention on in this series was, for me, a kid back in the 90s, I thought Connor Kent Superboy was just the coolest thing. You know, here it was, the young Superman, or was he Superman or not? Was he a clone? What was going on? Had the kind of the swagger and the spiky belt and the leather jacket, you know, just real cool looking kind of kid, spiky hair, all that kind of stuff. But basically he got buried back in the 90s and not really dug up too much except a little here and there. But it's nice to see him get kind of a little focus here with this action-inspired type story. Looking at the preview art, I think they're really leaning into that kind of over-the-top 90s type storytelling, but with a more modern, contemporary kind of art style. And to me, it looks like a very manga-inspired story from the pages here. We've got a lot of action lines and or movement lines and active punches, things breaking and lasers being shot, you know, electrical stuff cracking, that kind of type artwork on the panels here. And to me, maybe because it's kind of based on that time period, it looks like if you took Connor Kent Superboy and stuck him into a Dragon Ball manga really is kind of the vibe that I get from this. Obviously, it's colored, but I think it will appeal if you like either and or both of those categories. So check it out. Like I said, it comes out first issue April 18th. Dr. Mo here for a DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Unstoppable Doom Patrol number two. Doom Patrol fans may be in the process of grieving the loss of the Doom Patrol series on HBO Max. The final six episodes will be coming at some point later in 2023. However, Doom Patrol fans do have an opportunity to support the property in the form of the newest six-issue miniseries that DC will be publishing starting in March 2023. Now, the newest Doom Patrol series picks up on plot threads established in Lazarus Planet. My understanding is that there's going to be a jumping off point or a lead-in to this six-issue miniseries in the pages of one of the upcoming Lazarus Planet one-shots. The the series is written by Dennis Culver with the artwork being provided by Chris Burnham. The new setup for the Doom Patrol is essentially following the events of Lazarus Planet. They're going to be more or less helping individuals who have been impacted by the Lazarus Planet reign. People are essentially getting superpowers or changes to their superpowers or, or whatnot. In many ways, this sort of reminds me of the aftermath of the old invasion um, event from the late 80s in which the metagene bomb went off and people got metagene powers or in the case of some characters, their powers changed. So I, I think that this is a interesting and a good status quo for Doom Patrol, particularly a Doom Patrol that is going to be immersed in the regular 
DC continuity because the most recent Doom Patrol series were part of Gerard Way's young animal line and had more or less tangential connections to the main DCU. Now, writer Dennis Culver, he was recently on the podcast Waiting for Doom in which he talked about how the series, even though it's going to be six issues, it's going to be mostly a series of one shots that kind of gets get you up to speed, help you get to know the team. And there's going to be ongoing plot threads. And then the last two issues are going to be two parters. So in a way, he is really pushing hard for the series because, according to Culver, if it does well, there's obviously a chance for it to continue probably either in the form of another six issue miniseries or an, an ongoing series. So if you are a fan of the Doom Patrol, I one, I suggest you check out that podcast, especially if you have questions about the Unstoppable Doom Patrol series. And two, go ahead and, and pre-order this the series. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number two can be found on page nine of DC Connect, and the regular cover costs $3.99. Now, there are several variant covers for this issue, including my understanding there's going to be a Glow in the Dark Negative Man cover. So if you are interested in that cover specifically, it, it, that one costs $5.99. The other variant covers will cost $4.99. And again, the regular cover will cost $3.99. Dr. Mo here with a DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Static, Shadows of Dakota. Number three, the first issue in this newest six-issue static series recently hit the stands. And after what seemed like a what year and a half wait, I was fully ready to be immersed back into the pages of the new static universe, or as they like to call it, the static season one universe. Now, this newest series, Shadows of Dakota, is part of Milestone's 30th anniversary celebration. I know it's really hard to imagine that Static and the other Milestone properties are 30 years old, especially considering, you know, roughly 20 years ago, we had a Static animated series on the air. I'm one of the things that I really enjoyed about the first uh Static miniseries or Static Season 1 was the artwork by Nicholas Draper Ivy. Nicholas Draper Ivy provides the artwork for this series. In addition, he is co writing the series with Vita Ayala, who also wrote the Static Season 1 series. Draper Ivy, his, his style, it's, it's, there's this animated quality to it. I think it literally crackles, especially when Static uses his abilities. The plot for this newest series, it's certainly picking up on the events of Static Season 1. We're dealing with the fallout of Bang Babies being a new and emerging thing. Folks are still trying to grapple with these powers. The government, who was trying to, you know, capture and weaponize these bang babies in the first series 
you know, you still kind of have the threat hanging over Dakota because of, of that incident. Now you have Bang Babies disappearing again. Is it the government? Is it some threat? Who knows? You also have a new character on the scene called Ebon, who is causing all kinds of problems for Static and his friends. So really, if you are looking for, and I wouldn't, I would probably say this is an all ages book, but it's, if it's not, it's, it's certainly PG-13. I think that it, it feels very contemporary. Certainly, you know, when Static came out, in, in my opinion, you know, he was Milestone's version of Spider-Man, of a teenage Spider-Man. I think that that still continues and, and holds up. But Static has always had its own kind of flavor. And this new iteration of Static very much feels like, you know, a Static of the 2020s and, and whatnot. So if you want to see more Static, I suggest you, one, pick up the first issue of this series. And because I quite honestly think you'll probably be lost if you don't. And then two, I would uh, come back for issue three. I am certainly looking forward to it. And if you need some additional information on Static, this new Static series, uh, Comics Beat recently did an interview with the creative team behind the Static Shadows of Coda series. You can find that on the Beat's website. It was a really good interview. Static Shadows of Dakota number three can be found on page 19 of DC Connect. The regular cover costs $3.99. There's it's like two variant covers which cost $4.99 each. Dr. Mo here with a DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Batman. The Adventures Continue, Season 3, Number 4. DC continues to produce comics set in the Batman, the animated series universe, and as a longtime fan of the property, I couldn't be happier. Now, my understanding is that this current run will be the final, perhaps at least for now, in this universe. According to the solicitation text for issue four, we're going to pick back up on an ongoing plot that's been simmering through the previous seasons involving the Joker's henchman, Stage Man. So Stage Man is this large, muscular dude who has, I would say, kind of Captain America, super soldier level abilities who's a bit mindless and more or less is the Joker's ultimate hench person. This series is written by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, who two individuals who have long, long association with the Batman, the animated series property. The artwork is by Ty Templeton, who has been drawing these Batman, the animated series comics for decades. He's been the primary artist on the previous seasons. What I like about the Adventures Continue line is obviously it's the ties to an established continuity. I think that it's really nice where you can pull on threads from whether it's past seasons of 
this comic series, continuity from the a- animated episodes, continuity from you know, the original animated series books that DC was publishing back in the 90s and I believe the early 2000s as well. There's a lot of done-in-one storylines, some two-parters, maybe the occasional three-parter in this series. I think you feel when you read an issue of this title that you got something that there was, even if it is like continuing into the, to the next issue, the plot line that is, you do feel as if, you know, it's a full meal. And I don't often feel like that with stories that are, you know, six part epics and whatnot. So if you are looking for a Batman title, then I, I honestly think you can pretty much give to anyone any issue of this and they'll be satisfied. You know, pick up this title, Batman The Adventures Continue, season three, number four, can be found on page 40 of DC Connect and the regular cover costs $3.99. Variant covers for this, and there's at least three of them, cost at least $4.99. My first pick is on page 43 of the DC Connect, and it is Nightwing 103. Now, the solicitation says something about, you know, who is the grinning man, and, you know, what's he doing, and Nightwing and the Titans better figure it out before they lose one of their team members. It's like, well, I took a couple of different things out of that that I think they intended. One, we're supposed to be thinking, ooh, they may lose a Titan. They kill off Titans all the time, and frankly, one of the last major status quo changes they made to two of the Titans in Titans Academies didn't stick, you know, even for a month, and it's just been kind of been chucked. So if somebody dies, they'll probably just come back. So I'm a little jaded on that. What I took out of that, though, was Nightwing and the Titans better figure out, and this is the Nightwing title. So on the one hand, I'm happy that Tom Taylor is getting a chance to write the Titans. On the other hand, I kind of feel like Nightwing's almost been demoted in his own book to having, you know, a lot more supporting cast than he had before. So a little unhappy about that. We've got art by Travis Moore, covered by Bruno Redondo. I'd rather have art by Bruno Redondo. I mean, if they could get Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo to be doing Nightwing and a separate Titan series, I'd be very happy with that. So, kind of got to settle for it being all in one. This is $4.99, but we get 40 pages, and we're getting a backup with Nightwing mentoring and training the John Kent Superman. And in this case, teaching him detective skills and that you can't always fight your way out of everything. So, looking forward to that should be good, but I am curious where DC is going, both with Nightwing and the Titans, if and when we're actually going to get a Titans series itself, who will write that, who will draw that, what happens with Nightwing at that time and such. But for now, it's all happening in the pages of Nightwing 103 on page 43 of the DC Connect. Dr. Moe here with a DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Wildcats, number six. I am continuing to have a blast reading this newest Wildcats series, or as I like to say, Wildcats covert action team. We are now heading into the 31st anniversary of this Jim Lee property, which helped launch his portion of Image back in the early 90s the Wildstorm universe. 
Now, this newest series is written by Matthew Rosenberg, and it feels like it is a bit of a nostalgia mixed with the DC universe. It feels of the now. It's certainly, while, you know, there are elements that feel like it's this is classic Wildcats, it is definitely a remix all of the way that HBO's Watchmen was steeped in the world of the Watchmen, but at the same time, it, it, it felt something new, felt something different. This Wildcats series not only contained classic characters from the team, you know, your Grifters, your Zealots, your Spartans, but you've also got some Gen 13 characters in there. You've got Deathblow in here. So if you are a fan of the Wildstorm universe, this title is a lot of things. Now, the DC continuity element of it, which I find it's very weird, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, this is not bad, is that they're taking on the Court of Owls. And that's probably been the main threat in this current series. And the Court of Owls at this point is a 10-year-old Batman concept, which I cannot believe. But somehow this this notion of these ancient Caribbean and Caribbean human hybrids taking on these cult of undead assassins it seems like it, it it works somehow. You know, according to the solicitation text for issue six, we've got the Wildcats team dealing with the loss of a teammate, um, new people joining the team, and you still got corporate machinations going on involving Halo. So it's just another day in the lives of the Wildcats. The art is being provided by Steven Segovia who has been doing the previous issues of the series Segovia style very much fits in line with you know, Jim Lee and the other folks who were drawing Wildstorm titles so it looks like a Wildstorm title even though you know Segovia was not drawing any of those books 30 years ago it looks very nice the coloring, it very, it's vibrant, it pops. It's, it's a really nice overall package. So if you are a fan of the Wildstorm universe, or certainly you got nostalgia for 90s image titles or characters, this book is definitely for you. Wildcats number six can be found on page 45 of DC Connect, and the regular cover costs $3.99. There's two variant covers, which each cost $4.99. Hey guys, Chris Myers again. My last pick in the DC catalog is going to be the Tom Strong Compendium. It's written by Alan Moore, Liam Moore, and Ed Brubaker and others. The art's by Chris Sprouse, Al Gordon, and Carl Story, and others. This is 952 pages. It's uh, $59.99. It's going to be on sale in May. And it's the complete collection of the Tom Strong series. I think it was in Wildstorm, but I'm not positive. It's 1 through 36. And it's the adventure-filled collection chronicles the exploits of science hero Tom Strong. Together with his family and an entourage of eccentric sidekicks, 
he protects Millennium City from the villainous Paul Savine and other bizarre threats to the universe. I just thought this was good, fun, pulpy, golden age hero stuff. So I just enjoyed it a lot, and I think it might be worth taking a look at if you're uh, an omnibus or a compendium collector. So on to the next pick. Hey, this is James back with a pick in the Marvel previews. And the first thing that caught my eye was actually the first solicit in here, which is not what I would consider a Marvel comic per se. I mean, technically the property is owned by Disney, a.k.a. Marvel, (laughs) but it's uh, Planet of the Apes on page number two and three. Writer is David Walker. David Walker is one of those writers who's a little bit hit or miss for me. He's about 50-50 batter, so I'm going to see how he does with this. And the artist is Dave Wachter. And there's some preview, well, not really preview art. I guess that is the black and white picture on there. It says interior art from issue one, so that, that is preview art. It looks pretty decent, so I'm on board for this. I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan. When I say big Planet of the Apes fan, the modern movies were cool. I did like them, but I harken back and I like the original Planet of the Apes, the movies where... I, I don't know if those were the 70s or 80s or whatever they came out, but I used to watch them when I was a kid. I loved it. I'll never forget. My sister wanted to watch Bewitched on TV, and I wanted to watch Planet of the Apes. And yeah, we got into a big fight over that one. <laughs> it, it, it was a physical melee between my sister and I, but we were little kids two years apart. <laughs> but it says, David Walker and Dave Wachter bring Planet of the Apes back to Marvel Comics in spectacular style, hoping it's written well. And it says, a new era of apes kicks off with part one, devolution. Or de-evolution? It says devolution, but... All right, de-evolution. The ALZ-113 virus has rampaged across the planet, and humanity is crumbling. While well-meaning researchers hunt for a cure, a fanatical group of humans has their own solution. Kill all apes. Peacekeeper Juliana Tobin is one of the few willing to stand against them. But the crisis is spreading, and soon apes will witness the true depths of human cruelty. Eisner-winning writer David F. Walker, who did do Luke Cage, Bitterroot, joins horses with Dave Wachter, who did Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, Star Wars, The High Republic, Trail of Shadows, on one of the most beloved sci-fi franchises in history, and I would agree with that. This is an oversized issue, so it's 5 bucks, four ninety-nine, but you're getting 40 pages. And I'm interested to see how this does, because I, I think Planet of the Apes was over a boom, so... Now, welcome back to Marvel along with Alien and, and Predator. Kind of cool. On to my next pick. What's up, guys? It's X-Men Patrick. Yes, I am back, and I am in the Marvel section. We are looking at Planet of the Apes number one. Dave Walker is the writer. Dave Watcher is the artist. And you know there's 500 covers because it's a number one. So we're going to look at Planet of the Apes back at Marvel Comics. We don't know how long they're going to have this title, so why not pick up the number one? In the new era of apes kicks off with a part one of Devolution. The ALZ-113 virus has rampaged across the planet Earth. Humanity is crumbling. While well-meaning researchers hunt for a cure, the fanatical group of humans have their own solution. Kill all apes. Peacemaker Juliana Tobin is one of the few willing to stand against them, but the crisis is spreading. Soon, apes will witness the true depths of human human cruelty. Eisner, winning writer, because of Luke Cage and Bitterroot, joins forces with Dave Watcher, Iron Fist, and Star Wars: High Republic, one of the most beloved sci-fi franchises in history. Forty pages, four ninety-nine. I love all the newer Planet of the Apes movies, 
I watch some of the older ones, you know, and as a 30, almost 40 year old, the older ones don't really catch me as well as the new ones. So if this keeps along the lines of the newer ones, I would love this series. All right, on to my next pick. Hi guys, it's Chris Myers again. I'm in the Marvel catalog now. I'm looking at Planet of the Apes number one. They're back at Marvel. A new era of apes kicks off with part one of Devolution. The ALZ113 virus has rampaged across the planet Earth and humanity is crumbling. That sounds familiar. While well-meaning researchers hunt for a cure, a fanatical group of humans has their own solution. Kill all the apes. Peacekeeper Juliana Taboon is one of the few willing to stand against them. But the crisis is spreading. This is written by David Walker with art by Dave Wachter. It's 40 pages. It's $4.99. And I've always enjoyed the Planet of the Apes. I've read a lot of it. I haven't liked everything, but I've liked a lot of it. So I figure this might be worth giving a try. On to the next pick. Hey, this is James back with another pick in the Marvel previews. And this time I'm on page six and seven. There's some interior art on six, but seven is the actual solicit. And it's Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Now, the writers, and there's two writers, and this is where I'm going to give it a shot because Guardians of the Galaxy is really, really, really good when it's a good writer and a good artist. It's eh, so-so at best, if it's not. Okay, it's Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing and Kev Walker's artist. Kev Walker's a terrific artist, so I'm on board for the art already. Kelly and Lansing have been doing good. When I think back to good Guardian of the Galaxy runs, I think of Abnet and Lanning. They did a whole bunch of cosmic stuff that was just fantastic. It was great. Abnet is not writing this, and maybe he did his time, and he doesn't want to revisit <laughs> this property, and that's fine. But I'm hoping some of the writing magic rubbed off on Lansing, because he was the artist, and he's going to be writing this. So I'm hoping for good things. Fingers are crossed. And it says, who are the Guardians of the Galaxy in real big? Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Well, I think we all know because we've seen the movie. So, okay. One year ago, the Guardians of the Galaxy were destroyed. Uh, I have not been reading it, so I did not know that. Okay, their optimistic future shattered by the betrayal of one of their own. Now they ride the space lanes of lawless corner of the galaxy, trying to outrun their tragedy. Can they rediscover their heroism and humanity on the bleakest frontier? Can they forgive the failures of their past, or will they fade into the dark? Eternally unforgiven. And then it talks about the writers and da 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 da. Four ninety nine because it's forty pages, like every first issue, and then it'll go down to three ninety nine. I'm on board for this. Like I said, I didn't like the direction that the Guardians of the Galaxy was going with the previous writers that they had on the book. It just wasn't working for me, so that I didn't even know they had broken up. But they must be bringing them back together because I'm sure there's going to be something a movie, Disney streaming <laughs> related that'll tie into this. But like I said. Lansing, please bring that magic that you had with Abnet when you were the artist there, because I love Cosmic Marvel when Cosmic Marvel is good. I was kind of ticked off, not happy with things that happened with the Krees and Skrulls, and, you know, like the, the marginalization of, of space. And it's there. It's ripe. I mean, yeah, we have mutants in space and that's all cool and everything, but I want the cosmic empires. I like the conflicts between the empires. That's that's something that I like to read. So I want to see that come back. I'm hoping this book leads us in that direction, and I'm hoping it's good. Like I said, fingers crossed, because 
of the old artist on a rung that I used to like. But if it's not good, I'll be saying sayonara. I'm out of here. On to my next pick. My next pick is on page 10 of the Marvel previews. It is Warlock Rebirth number one of five. Now, I'm excited about this because it's written by Ron Mars, art by Ron Lim. These are the guys who did a lot of stuff on the whole Infinity Saga quest. I forget what all the various ones were back in the day. So getting that team back together for a Warlock series should be a lot of fun. They're introducing a new, it looks like, female equivalent of Warlock. And it also seems like this is being set back during the time of Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Those were a bunch of fun characters too, so I'm curious about all of this. And Marvel's done pretty well when they've done kind of these retro series by some of the the key creators of those properties at that time. So looking forward to that. Once again, that is Warlock Rebirth number one of five on page 10 of the Marvel previews. What's up, guys? It's X-Men Patrick, and I'm still in the Marvel section. A few years ago, uh, John asked, what would we like to see more published from Marvel Comics in his year-end? And I always write Rogue and Gambit comics, because they are the best X-Men couple, and Gambit is the best X-Men. So I got my wish. I got Rogue and Gambit back. This is number two out of five. Stephanie Phillips, who's not my favorite writer, but she's writing it. Carlos Gomez is the artist, and we got a few covers. I'm pretty sure the main one is Steve Morris that you see on the previews page, and I love his art. That's great. X-Men vs. Avengers with the fate of Kokoa at stake. I've literally dropped every X-Men book recently because just not writing it for me anymore, but I will definitely pick up Rogue and Gambit anytime I see it. The future of mankind rests on Rogue and Gambit's shoulders. Granted a vision of Kokoa's demise, Destiny knows the one way to save their paradise. Find Manifold and hide him away. Somewhere so deep that no one, not even his allies on the Avengers, can find him. That won't sit well with Earth's mightiest heroes. The King of Wakanda comes from Marvel's premier couple, but the Black Panther is just the first of a very long list of problems. And when someone else steals Manifold away, Rogue and Gambit find themselves in everyone's crosshairs. 32 pages, $3.99. So, like I said, cover A's. Rogue and Gambit number one didn't come out yet, but I want that cover A also. If that's Steve Morris, I forgot who wrote the first one. Cover A's are awesome looking. I love the cover A's. Uh, I'll probably be picking up a few number one covers because, like I said, I love Rogan Gambit. I have the X-Men Gold 30 where they got married. I love that cover. Just a huge fan. So definitely picking that up. All right, on to the next pick. Hey, this is James back with another pick in the Marvel previews. And... Uh, just to point out, there are some things on page 48, like Captain America, Sentinel Liberty, which is a prelude to Cold War. And on the next page, on page 50, there's Captain America, Symbol of Truth, Cold War Part 2. So I'm going to have to pick up Symbol of Truth, too. I'd kind of drop that book. But they're kind of tying together to this book that's on page 49, which is Captain America, Cold War Alpha, number one. It's written by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, who were doing the Sentinel of Liberty book. And Tochi Onyabuchi, I, I, I hope that's how you say his name, who's been doing the Symbol of Truth book. And Carlos Mangano, Magno, God, I'm butchering this, is the artist. And then it says, uh, you know, basically the covers and blah, blah, blah. But it says the revolution starts here, Cold War Part 1. Bucky Barnes is in the Outer Circle, New Revolution. Okay, there's been this whole thing with the Outer Circle, the meaning behind Cap Shield. Maybe it's not what we thought it was. And this whole secret organization that kind of developed around this 
the, the rings, the shield, and then the center, the points and all that. So they build up this whole mythology around the cap shield that we all know and love. So I've been enjoying it, and I think this is where it's going to kind of come to a head. So I'll read you the solicit just in case you don't know what's going on. It is Bucky Barnes is the Outer Circle's new revolution and has enacted the deadliest move yet, an alliance with Sam Wilson's nemesis, the White Wolf. When Steve Rogers' adopted son, Ian, a.k.a. Nomad, and Ian, I don't know if you remember, I think that was way back in Rick Remender's run. I, I think that's when that happened in Nomad. I, I can't remember for the life of me, but I remember Ian way back. As conducted by someone Steve thought was a friend, he suspects Bucky's hand at work and calls upon the people who know Ian best. Sam Wilson, Sharon Carter, and Misty Knight. So you're getting all of these characters. To help him get to the bottom of the attack, has Bucky finally gone too far? Why has Nomad been taken? And what does it have to do with a portal to Dimension Z? I like that whole thing with Recommender of Dimension Z. Opening over a secret battleground in Alaska. The symbol of truth and the sentinel of liberty reunite for a pulse-pounding crossover event that will make them question everything they believe in and each other. I think like I said, I wanted to get to the center of this mystery and this secret organization, and I think this is a nice little kickoff. So the Sentinel of Liberty will be the prelude to Cold War. You're going to get this Cold War Alpha, which is part one. And then I am going to have to pick up Symbol of Truth because that's part two, because I want to know what's going on with the story. And maybe they'll actually bring in Captain America, Sam Wilson, back to the United States, where he's a Captain of America instead of all over the planet. That's what it was kind of weird is Captain America everywhere but America. But I'm on board for this. I think it'll be a fun read. And on to my next pick. Hey, this is James back with another pick. Uh, my final pick from the Marvels previews. There were so many Omnibuy coming out. I was like, holy mackerel, there's a ton of them. But I'm picking out something that I know nothing about. By the way, just a, a, a heads up on page 76, there is a Miles Morales Spider-Man omnibus. But it's the Saladin Ahmed run, which I did really enjoy. So I'm probably going to double dip on that. But over on page 79, we get the Sigil Omnibus hardcover. And it's written by Barbara Kessel, Mark Wade, Chuck Dixon, Tony Bedard, penciled by, I'm not going to read all these names, but George Perez is the pencil in here. So you can get some George Perez art here. I, I, I don't know if it was his best art, just don't know. Steve McNiven did some art, kind of cool. The reason why I'm pointing this one out is because this is one of the cross-gen things. And it was kind of like, I don't I don't know if we want to say like a running joke, but it was just like, a this stuff's never going to see the light of day. Cross-gen was like a thing back in the day. They totally changed up the way that owner ownership, and not really ownership, but the way that comic companies were run. And everyone worked together. It was based down in Tampa, Florida. And the rights were so mixed up with these books and things that we never thought we'd see them again. Well, Marvel did their work just like they did with Miracle Man, and now we're getting a sigil omnibus. This is stuff that probably you're going to see it printed, and I don't know how many reprintings you're going to see of this material. It's probably limited, just like the Conan stuff. Now that it's gone, you'll probably never see it again. I don't know if you know Marvel will license that stuff again. It says, experience the epic saga of galactic mercenary Samadahi Ray. I'm, I'm, I'm butchering the Samadahi Ray. Fighting to survive amid a brutal war against the Saurians. And I'm butchering this because I kind of read this. I don't know how they're pronounced. But when Sam suddenly receives the sigil, a mark burned into his chest that grants him access to vast power, but without any instruction or control, it makes him a weapon and a target. Sam and his crew must travel the cosmos, battling their enemies and trying to unravel the mystery 
of the sigil. But for a mercenary like Sam, allies can quickly become enemies, and vice versa. In this complete collection, the original hit series, a grizzled space soldier grabbing his second chance at a glory, might become humanity's last hope for survival. And it collects sigil from 2000 number 1 through 42, cross-gen chronicles 4, saurians, unnatural selection 1 through 2, and material from cross-gen chronicles number 1. So it's about 1,200 pages of material for 125 bucks, but I'm going to get, I think it's 46 or 48% off from over at Deep Discount Comics. That's where I pick up my books. I get the discount. I've never read the material. I've heard nothing but people that enjoyed cross-gen and missed cross-gen. So since I never got to experience this is the only way I'm going to be able to do it, I'm picking this up. And hopefully I enjoy it. But I wish I could tell you why I enjoyed it, but I can't because I never read it. But I do know that this stuff will not stay at print. So on to my next pick. Hi guys, Chris Myers again. This is my last pick of the month. It's in the Marvel catalog. It's the Sigil Omnibus Hardcover. This is the Sigil series that ran in cross-gen years and years ago in the early 2000s. This collects Sigil 1 through 42 and various other bits and pieces of cross-gen material. It's 1,192 pages. It's listed for $125. It doesn't tell me when it comes out. But I enjoyed the uh, cross-gen universe. I read a lot of it. I read a lot of Sigil and the different titles. And these, some of the writers in this are Barbara Kessel, Mark Wade, Chuck Dixon, and Tony Bernard. Can't go wrong there. And some of the artists are Steve McGiven, Paul Pelletier, Eduardo Barreto, Dale Eaglesham, and George Perez. And you certainly can't go wrong there. If you have any fond memories of that universe, you might want to take a look at this and uh, add it to your omnibus collection. So that's it for this month. I'm glad to be uh, back at this. As I said in some other things, the DC Infinite Ultra has gotten me back almost to current, so I can actually look at some things I might be reading in the near future. So I'm, I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad that John provides this forum for us doing this. Take care, everybody. Have a good month. This is Nick with a pick from the image section of the main previewed catalog, this time from page 42. It's Deep Cuts number one of six, so a mini series here. Price for this is $5.99, 56 pages. So uh, ordinarily, I wouldn't even recommend this. Just I think that even at that page count, that's still just not really how you want to be introducing a, a mini series to customers that have no real connection to your project but this is written by kyle higgins and joe clark with art by danilo Beirut. and this description now is what caught my attention and some of the preview pages below make me think that this might at least be a good story with some good art it says new orleans 1917 in the city's bustling red light district a young clarinet player lands a job with his hero but he'll soon discover there's more to the music business than playing the right notes. Join writers Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark and all-star cast of artists for six double-length issues that weave stories of struggle, joy, and hope through the history of jazz. And there's a little call-out thing here next to a monocle icon that says, A whip-smart new miniseries that's perfect for music fans searching for a story with depth and redemption. So what I gather here, well, first of all, as 
a native of South Louisiana and a clarinet player myself, that description did call out to me. And the the art here, I think, really backs up that kind of concept. A little bit after turn of the century, industrial era type view of New Orleans. Good color choices. Kind of reminds me a lot of the Frank Avila or uh, I think his name is Joshua Hickson kind of art style and color choice. Very moody and jazzy looking. But I, I gather here from the description that each issue will be done by a different artist with probably a different story. So I think with this being the case, you should be able to probably pick this up, see if you like the concept. And then if it's appealing enough, try out the next story the next month kind of thing. So anyway, check this out. Because at least in the previous catalog, there are uh, several pages of art from this first issue that you can check out. Hey, this is James here in the previews catalog. And this is the February catalog, I guess, for things coming out. I guess that would be April. Could have that off, but I think it's April. (laughs) And the first thing I decided to point out is on page 50. You, we have a new book called, it's a gem of the month called World Tree. The O is spelled with a zero and the E's are spelled with a three. And it is a dystopian horror science fiction. Now, that's not what's going to sell me per se, even though that's definitely up in my wheelhouse. The writer is James Tinian IV. Art is Fernando Blanco and Jordi Belair. And you go down here into this little black box that kind of summarizes what the book is. And it says, the Department of Truth meets Mr. Robot in this high-stakes cyberpunk thriller. I love the Department of Truth. So it sounds like something really in my wheelhouse. What's funny is, they said Jordi Belair on the on the art, along with Fernando Blanco. But there's like, literally in the sample pages, there's like a little tinge or a splash of red or green here and there. But there's almost no color art. So Jordi definitely probably colored this in about a day. <laughs> It looks like it's going to be good. The the interior art, it's completely different than what you'd expect. It's It looks like it's 12 panels per page, a lot of it black and white, but interesting. I like it at the same time. Now, let me tell you what it says in the solicit. It says, in 1999, Gabriel and his friends discovered the Undernet, a secret architecture to the internet. They charted their exploration on a message board called World Tree, spelled with the zero and the threes. Then they lost control. Someone broke into World Tree. Someone who welcomed the violent hold of the internet had on them. At great personal cost, Gabriel and the others thought they sealed the internet away for good. They were wrong. And now they will know the meaning of PH34R. Uh, all right. I'm getting too old for the codes. I don't know what, 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 we're, what we're seeing here. <laughs> and I think it's fear spelled with a PH. <laughs> the next major horror outing from multiple Eisner award-winning James Tinian, Department of Truth, Nice House on the Lake, and I loved both of those. Actually, Department of Truth is way better than Nice House on the Lake, even though Nice House on the Lake is good. And Fernando Blanco has done art over on Detective Comics. But it looks terrific. It sounds like it's right up my alley and right in the genre that I enjoy, and it's a gem of the month. So I'm definitely on board for this. I'm excited for it. On to my next pick. This is Nick with another pick from the main previews catalog. In the image section, we're on page 79. It's Ice Cream Man number 36. It's been a while since I called out this horror anthology, but just wanted to touch base with it here. It's written, as always, by W. Maxwell Prince, with art by Martine Marazzo. 
and Chris O'Halloran. And the cover really is maybe a little more descriptive than the solicitation text. We've got a whale sort of uh, breaching out of the ocean with the ice cream man and a skeleton <laughs> running into it as it's emerging from the ocean. And all we have from the solicitation is a title, Whale Song, and the preview text, Into the Belly We Go. So it could be interesting. If you've been following along, check it out. And if not, go back and check some of the early issues out, see if this series is for you. 32 pages, $3.99. This is Nick with another pick from the main previews catalog, this time page 102. It's in the Boom Studios section, looking at The Seasons Have Teeth, number one of four. This is uh, $4.99 for 32 pages, so not the wildest about the fact that they're kind of selling this up a little bit, but it is just a four-issue miniseries. Now, the topic of this one and the solicitation text sounds kind of heady, so it could be not worth that little extra expense that you're putting out there. But I'm hoping the art is good and the concept seems decent. It's written by Dana Waters, illustrated by Sebastian Cabrol. And here's how it describes this concept. In a drab, colorless world, the seasons bring change and also destruction. Andrew, a retired conflict photographer, lives a life steeped in regret after an unthinkable tragedy. But everything shifts when the seasons arrive each one a personified godlike creature, as he risks everything to track them down, spring, summer, autumn, and winter, will capturing the perfect picture of each be enough to find redemption, and ultimately bring color back to his world? Dan Waters of Sword of Azrael and Homesick Pilots writing acclaim is joined by artist Sebastian Cabral, who did work on Anthony Bourdain's Hungry Ghosts and Maestro World War M, for a tale that is both down-to-earth and supernaturally ap apocalyptic in its pertinence. So again, a lot of big words there, and I guess the basic concept is this retired photographer's sort of trying to complete his life's work, and he takes pictures of kaiju? We shall see. Again, this is on page 102, $4.99, out on April 12th. What's up, guys? X-Men Patrick, and I am in the regular previews book now. This is going to be my last pick. I am in the IDW and Boom section. I believe it's actually the Boom section. Yes, it is Boom. It is page 120. We're looking at Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number two, book five of five. Yeah, it's book five of five, but I'm calling it out because next month there should be a trade coming out, and I pick up all the trades also. I haven't started to read this one yet, but I did read the first one and loved it. I wish I got the action figures, but I didn't. But I'll wait till I find them singly in Boy Bin somewhere. Written by Ryan Parrott. Illustrated by Dan Mora. Colors by Raul Angulo. And then it's 500 covers. This has definitely got to reset. These covers, like, I love the art. I love that artists are getting paid. Well, they should be getting paid. <coughs> Aftershock. But we need to cut down on these. Anyway, on sale, April 6th, 4 dollars 5.99 card stock. Yes, they're doing the lunar distribution thing, or at least DC. 32 pages. The final issue of the most teen age and attitude packed sequel crossover of all time. Forbidden allies alliances collide as radically enhanced mind-blowing Zord combinations battle it out. Reunited friends face Krang and as the true force to be reckoned with, but will it be enough to send him back to Dimension X? Like I said, I have not read any of these yet. I love my Ninja Turtles. 
I like the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and I really love the first book, so why not? Right? It's awesome. I got all of the Ninja Turtle and Batmans. I'm collecting a lot of the Ninja Turtle from IDW. I'm only missing probably about 20 issues out of 130. And I have a number one from the original Mirage. Ninja Turtles is my jam. So pick it up, read it along with me. See you guys next time. Peace. Hey, this is James back with another pick. And this time I'm on page 160 in the Dark Horse section. Dark Horse. They do print manga, and when they do, typically what they print is really great material. You get a lot of uh, what I would call filler manga in the back. There's some really there's some gems there, but Dark Horse really chooses what they think is the best of the best. They did Berserk, they did I Am a Hero, which was like a zombie type tale, and they've also been doing this Blade of the Immortal. And on page 160, we get Blade of the Immortal Deluxe Volume 9. It's a hardcover. You get 680 pages for 50 bucks, but it's 40% off through Deep Discount Comics. The Blade of the Immortal is kind of like epitome, the pinnacle of what they call Shogun manga, basically Shoguns in Japanese times. All the previous deluxe hardcovers are listed here, so you can get caught up, but this is the ninth one. And I just think it's terrific. The art in it is terrific. The story is terrific. But I'm going to read you the solicit in here. It says, well, and I butcher these names. Hanatsu's strange crew of Itoreo are splintered and fatigued. Habaki Kajimura's group of suicidal Rokidan soldiers is hot on their heels. Paths cross, swords clash, and all the pieces begin to fall into place for a ferocious final battle in this penultimate omnibus collecting Hiroki Samurai's spellbinding masterpiece. So this one collects Blade of the Immortal volumes 26, 27, and 28 that were originally serialized in little tiny Takuban. And there'll be one more book, the 10th one, and then this is completed. Like I said, if you want to try out good manga, this is good manga. This is where uh, something that you may want to dip your toes into. And just want to point that one out. On to my next pick. Hey, this is James back with another pick. And this time I'm in the back half of previews. And for any of my Conan fans out there, or Barbaric fans. If you guys remember, I called out Barbaric a long time ago. They've had a couple volumes come out, and it, it's been a fun read. It's about a, a barbarian or a warrior with a axe that talks, <laughs> a bloodthirsty axe that kind of talks. It's a fun story. But over here in a blaze on page 236, we get The Mighty Barbarians number one. And the writer is Michael Marecci. I don't know how you say his name. And Giuseppe Cafaro is the artist. And the reason why I mentioned Barbaric, which is from Vault Comics way later in the book, is this is from the writer of Barbaric. Michael Morecci wrote Barbaric, and he's coming over here to Ablaze with new material. Most of what Ablaze does is translated manga, translated European comics or Asian comics, and they did the translated Conan stuff, the Conan Euro comics. But now they're getting into some original content. So I'm on board for that. Sounds good. If you flip the page from page 236, you get kind of like previews of the characters, an interview with the artist, and you get interior pages. It looks really good. Looks fun. Looks like something if you're a Conan fan, you may enjoy it. Like I said, I haven't read it, so I don't know. Let me tell you what they say in here. It says, they're barbarians. They loot, they plunder, they conquer. That's what they do. And they do it alone. Until now, 
when an unstoppable force starts consuming one world after another, sorceress Morgan Le Fay, we hear her all the time in Marvel comics, but here, Morgan Le Fay, here she is, uses her magic to assemble a team of skull-cracking warriors who must somehow work together to save all of existence. There's the young trickster, Anasi, a Viking shield maiden, Burka, and the shape-shifting Nanook, and their leader, heir to a fallen kingdom and mightiest warrior, Kull. Ah, Kull the Conqueror. Nice. Though their alliance is uneasy, they will do whatever it takes to cut the heart right out of their mutual enemy, leaving a path to run through everything and everyone that stands in their way. It says, before the Avengers, Justice League, the X-Men, before it all stood the mighty barbarians. Hilarious. There's a QR code. You can scan it on here if you want to get preview pages of the comic. I'm going to pick it up. I'm hoping it's good. One thing I will say for Blaze, this is like an original comic. They're using Cole the, the Conqueror from the world of Hyboria. I, I, Cole was there. They're using Morgan Le Fay. They're using these characters that Marvel could still be writing Cole. Marvel could still be doing Conan in their comics. They just can't use the, the words on the cover. So I wish they would because Blaze is still doing it. <laughs> but anyways, I'm going to read this on to my next pick. My next pick is another one of these that I've got kind of mixed feelings on. I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm interested in it, but the very existence of it has me a little puzzled. It is on page 252 of the Diamond Previews. It is Ancient Enemies, The Wraith and Sun, number one. It's a one-shot, 32 pages, 399. Written by Dan Didio, we've got Jose Luis and Jonas Trinidad on the art. It looks interesting. This is obviously playing into the Ancient Enemies series. My mixed feelings come from, I thought the Ancient Enemies was going to be a, I forget if it was a six or eight issue miniseries, and my assumption would be it would be kind of self-contained there. Well, we've already had another one shot. We've got this one shot, and it's almost like they're adding in a bunch of additional issues to this world, having sold us on the fact it would be a little more contained than it apparently is. I've read the first issue of Ancient Enemies, enjoyed it enough to want to explore that universe further, but I am curious what their long-term game plan is for this, and if maybe they should have been a little more forthcoming with they're going to be these side one-shots and stuff like that up front. Either way, it is Ancient Enemies, The Wraith and Sun, number one of one, on page 252 of the Diamond Previews. Hey, this is James with another pick in the back half of the previous catalog. And this time I'm over on page 354. I am in the Magnetic section. And here in Magnetic, we got Tao Bang, written by, I'm going to butcher these names, Daniel Picour and Oliver Vettine, art by Didier Cassegrin and Fred Blanchard. All right, I butchered those. All those names, I'm sure. This is a mature book. This book is intended for readers age 18 and up. It makes contain mature themes. There's a big warning. It's $25. It's a hardcover. It's 96 pages. I will get a discount, uh, probably 35% off of our deep discount comics. And the reason why I'm calling out this magnetic press one, the art looks decent, but it says it's like Conan the Barbarian meets Pirates of the Caribbean. All right. I'm down for that. Conan the Barbarian. Cool. Pirates of the Caribbean. Cool. It says Allura's business has been in freefall since the Dragon Shake ad Arfix? I'm butchering this. Opened a competing brothel nearby. Awesome brothel owner. <laughs> so she calls upon ruffian Norden 
to find the Isle of Mermaids whose siren song should bring in the customers and put her back on top. All right, they're getting mermaids to get them into the brothel. All right. But the journey is wrought with fantastic dangers, not the least of which is the Amazon pirate Tao Bang, an old acquaintance of Norton's, now the employee of Ad Arfax, a swashbuckling fantasy adventure packed with scoundrels and antiheroes by authors, and I'm not going to say their names, blah, blah, blah. Looks good. The art looks good. It sounds hilarious. There's brothels, sword fighting. Who doesn't want to read that? Red-blooded American. I think we all want to read that. I'm on board on my mix pick. This is Nick with a pick from page 370 of the main previews catalog. I'm highlighting from the PS Art Books section, Plastic Man Softy, Volume 2. That's their softcover editions. A lot of times they'll do a hardcover of a, a volume and then come back and do a softcover reprint. But of course, if you're unfamiliar with the work that PS Art Books does, basically they take the scans that people have submitted on the internet over the years of old comic books and they reprint the ones that have passed into the public domain. So in this case, and I think they do at least some job to clean up the artwork a little bit, sort of smooth out some of the rougher edges or, you know, kind of restore the coloring a little bit. But basically you're looking at old scanned in comics, if that makes sense. And the the quality of the books is very good. So I, I feel like you're getting a well-constructed book at a decent cost. This one, though, is their second in the volume of Plastic Man stories. It collects quality comics, Plastic Man, number five through eight. These were issues published 1946 to 1947. And this is a 208-page volume for $32.99, written and art by Jack Cole. So check it out if you've been a maybe a longtime DC fan of the Plastic Man character, but never had a chance to go back and read some of these old things. But this might be a nice way to collect all those if you're a fan of the character and want to see him in some of his earlier adventures. And just to give kind of the maybe standard caveat of the fact that these books were published a long time ago, and I can't vouch for what's in them. Could be good stories, could be questionable stereotypes, I don't know. But I think it is worth checking out if you're a fan of the character, and maybe do a little research if you're if you're um, trying to get some more information on it. This is Nick with another pick from the PS Art Books section in the main previews catalog, page 371, highlighting a trio of entries they have here. A couple months ago, maybe like last summer, they started doing these reprints of actual whole comic book issues that were kind of some of the maybe either pre-code horror key issues or ones that have caught people's attention over the years you know kind of the books that you think of when you're thinking of like the seduction of the innocent or the old classic sci-fi you know robot covers things like that or the you know damsel in distress you know being captured or whatever being rescued by someone those type of books that really stand out from yesteryear well when they started reprinting these, they would print the comic book in kind of a glossy cover and, you know, high quality paper, that kind of stuff. And then also sending with it a, I guess, like a, probably like an 11 by 14 sized printout of the comic book cover that already had some matting on it. So if you really wanted to, you could get a cheap frame or whatever, put it around it and hang up one of these classic comic covers on your wall. And it's a pretty good quality printing. If not, you know. 
give away the art or whatever you want to, but the it is pretty neat to see some of these old comic books in as close to their original form as you might be able to see because these are scanned. All this to be said, though, before I get too far down any different roads, this month they're doing the same thing. They're offering three of these, but they're all Captain Marvel facsimile editions. This is the Captain Marvel, you know, Shazam, Billy Batson, all the original publishing when these were done by Fawcett. So the art here and writing is by C.C. Beck and his crew of creators that helped him out with those. We have the full Marvel family offered in three facsimile editions, it says. Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and Mary Marvel, just as they were when first published. Featuring artwork by C.C. Beck, Mac Rayboy, and Pete Costanza. Choose from Captain Marvel Adventures, number 18, Captain Marvel Jr., number 4, and Marvel Family, number 4. And of course, each of these, like I said, is the magazine plus the oversized artwork that would come with it. So just keep that in mind when you're looking at the pricing for this. Each one is $15.99. So hopefully you can get a discount on this maybe at your comic store since it's kind of a special purchase. But it says each one of them or two of them are 68 pages and the Marvel family is a 36 page comic book. So check these out if that's interesting to you. I think they're kind of a novelty, and you know you don't have to pick up all these, but if, if the Fawcett characters of Captain Marvel were something that inspired you from your childhood or something you've gone back and read, this might be an addition to your comic book collection that you don't want to pass up. And my final pick of the month is on page 457 of the Diamond Previews. And it's one that when I saw it, I'm like, okay, I'm curious about this. I think I need to pick this thing up. It is a History of Modern Manga hardcover, and it's by Inside Editions. It's a little pricey. It's $39.99, 204 pages. It's, you know, a, I'm presuming a textbook about the history of manga, how it kind of evolved over in Japan, how it became such a, an economic powerhouse, reaching a billion copies annually these days. And I am aware of manga. I am not really in that space. And this may be a good kind of introduction to it for me. So I saw that and it's like, yeah, I need to pick that up. Not entirely sure when I'll get around to reading it, but at some point, I I think I definitely will. So once again, that's a history of modern manga hardcover on page 457 of the Diamond Previews. Hey, this is James back with my final pick. And this time I'm way back in the manga section on page 458, and I'm calling out a manga or a manga, whatever you want to call it. And this is from, I think it's Yin, Yin Press. Uh, Let me see, no, J Novel, oh, Kodansha. Okay, it's hard to, they put little tiny banners above the publishers, and then they kind of put all the books under there, but they don't really put it down the side, so it's hard to tell who the publisher is at times. But on page 458, we have Gleipnir, volume 13, by Sun Takeda. And this one is a book that our Slack buddy, our sometimes podcast buddy, and our favorite e-tailer from Deep Discount Comics, Eric. Eric got me on this. Eric, I would love it if you record a clip. Give me a manga once every quarter, because Eric's the guy who got me on this, and I'm happy he did. It's something that sounded so weird. If I would have read the premise, I probably wouldn't have picked it up. Because there's a lot of weird stuff. Japanese comics are just bizarre. But at the same time, they can be very good. (laughs) But this Gleipnir, Volume 13, 
there's once again some kind of like a little bit of a gamification inside here. There's aliens that have, are in the planet. So these people, they take on personas of creatures. It's so hard to explain without you having read this. But there's this one character, the main character, he turns into this thing that looks like a stuffed dog with a handgun. And a girl, when he turns into this dog or wolf-like character, whatever you want to say, she can unzip him. <laughs> there's two girls that have done this. And they insert themselves into his body and they kind of mesh and become one. It is so weird. It sounds bizarre. And one of the girls is like a psycho. And so he becomes like a psycho killer. But anyways, these creatures, they face off. They're searching for coins. They're hidden about this world. They're trying to gather a hundred coins and they go into the explanations why. I'm not going to spoil any of that. But along with this, there's gangs that kind of form, like collectives. Hey, let's work together and find coins. And as you kill other characters, you get a little bit stronger. So there's some, the Highlander element in there. And you get get basically roaming gangs of characters battling and fighting over this stuff. And it's a very mature book. It's not like adults only, but yeah, like a hard R, 17 plus, I would definitely say. Let me tell you what Gleepnir Volumes 13 says to see if it makes any more sense for you. It says, Suchi Kagaya, an ordinary high school kid in a boring little town, but when a beautiful classmate is caught in a warehouse fire, he discovers a mysterious power. He can transform into a furry dog, so it is a dog, with an oversized revolver, yep, and a zipper down his back. He saves the girl's life, sharing his secret with her, but she's searching for the sister who killed her family. And she doesn't care how degrading it gets. Yeah, it does get degrading. She will use Suchi to accomplish her mission. I'm just going to leave it there. It's a mature title. It's very weird, but at the same time, I can't stop reading it. So it's got me hooked, even though it's bizarre. And like I said, Eric, if you have any more suggestions for Manga, please throw them my way. Because everything you've suggested to me, I've really enjoyed. He he gave me Black Torch. I really like that. He told me to read Gleepnir. Love it. So... If you want to try another manga, this one's on volume 13. Eric can probably get you the last 12 volumes. Good stuff. And I wanted to say thank you to John for hosting this. Thank you to John for editing this. And I want to thank the people who did send in their clips. Because last month, we only had like five people send in clips. I would love to see 10 people send in clips. The more, the merrier. It, it just the diversification of voices. It makes it more fun. When it's just like the same five people, I really appreciate those people. But I would love to see more of the people on the Slack or... You know, just people in general. You don't even have to be on the Slack channel. Just send in your a clip, record one on your phone, email it to John and I, the guys at comicbookpage.com, or you can send us a message on the Slack and attach it. Go to the forums, you know, upload it. It just send John a message or me a message, and and we'll help you out in any way we can. But it's just literally just take your phone and hit record. There's a recorder on every phone, whether it's Android, iPhone. Just say, hey, I think you should pick this up. It's on page, whatever. This is. John Smith, blah, done. And that'll make it more cool because I want to hear your voice. On to, well, until next month, now on to my next pick. Bid you guys adieu. I appreciate you guys. Have a good one. And I'll talk to you more on the Slack as I'm on my cruise. Bye. I hope everybody found something of interest in the pre-order catalogs this month. I'll be honest, it was a little bit of slim pickings for me. I found a lot of stuff I was going to order, but I had to give some thought as to what I wanted to do my clips on, because I mean, there are some months where things just jump out. Oh, I've got to talk about this. This is this is something I'm really excited about, or I've been waiting a long time for this other thing, or whatever. And this time, not so much. I mean, I'm happy with the picks I've got. I stand behind them, but 
a little bit of a thinner month, and it's not uncommon for that to happen January, February time frame. But I want to thank James, Chris, Nicholas, Patrick, and Mo for sending in clips. I will be honest, I was a little worried as I was getting close to the deadline for this because at that point I only had clips from from James. Now, some of this is, is on me. I did not send out the first email reminder on schedule. Normally, the deadline for the preview spotlight is the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Central Time. And what I would do is on that Wednesday, three, four days before that, Tuesday, Wednesday, depends, Tuesday evening if I can, I send out the second reminder. And then a week before that, which is either the first Tuesday, Wednesday of the month or the last of the previous month again, depending when the Saturday hits and such, but a week and a half before the deadline, I send out that first one. Well, this time we had freezing rain in Austin, Texas, where I live, and it shut down town. Now, normally it's just, yeah, don't go out, stock up on the groceries beforehand, you'll be fine. This time, I was without power for a good couple of days. No power, no internet, no heat, and that got a little not so great, but it meant I couldn't obviously send out the email reminder as I normally would do. Plus, you know, I had other things on my mind, like, you know, as the temperature keeps decreasing in my house, how am I going to stay warm? Anyways, I, I survived all that, obviously. But I didn't get the reminder emails out until like the Wednesday and Friday before the Saturday deadline. So I did extend it to, to Sunday just to give people a little more time. And I think that helps. I think we would have had maybe just four of the five people submitting otherwise. But let me know what I can do to help you guys send in clips and to make it easier. Because really, I want to have not just a lot of clips, but I want to have a lot of different voices. So we've got different opinions, different vantage points, different interests in comics and manga being represented here. If somebody has a really good pitch on something, that may get me interested thinking, you know, I should get that. And it may not have hit my radar otherwise. Because, I mean, yeah, I go through all these catalogs and stuff. Matter of fact, I just spent the last few hours as I record that doing that because I hadn't had a chance previous to that to look through the stuff, much less figure out what my picks were going to be. And, I mean, not everybody can send in a bunch of clips every month. I get that. That's fine. Not everybody can send in a single clip every month. I get that. That's fine. But if you can send in a clip, whether it's once a month, once a quarter, once a year, if enough listeners do that, we'll have a much wider variety of items being discussed from a lot of different angles, and I think that benefits everybody. Because there's a ton of great comics coming out. It's just hard to find what's right for for each of us. So I'm trying to, to crowdsource this with you guys giving you a chance to get your voice heard, get your taste in comics heard, and help support those comics so they stick around longer. I mean, there were a couple of comments on how that Green Arrow series is a six-issue miniseries. Well, if Green Arrow sold better, it probably would have been an ongoing. Well, okay, great. What can we do about that? Well, we can support the comics we like. Had a couple of clips on Green Arrow. Maybe that helps. Maybe that gets it extended beyond the six-issue miniseries. Don't know. We'll find out. But we've got an open submission policy for the preview spotlight. Sending in a clip is as easy as recording it on your computer or smartphone and then just sharing it. I've got a Dropbox link. You can email it to me. There's, there's a ton of different ways to get it to me. If you need help, email me. Reach out on Slack. Reach out on the forum. We're trying to make this as easy as we can, and we want to get more people participating just because I think it makes these episodes a lot more fun, a lot more interesting, and a lot more useful for everybody. Once again, the deadline for the preview spotlight is the second Saturday of the month. You can always check the main page of the comic book page website for the latest information on the next deadline, and you can sign up for email reminders if you want them. 
And again, I try to send those out the two Tuesdays before the second Saturday of the month, just so you've got about a week and a half to get thinking about it. And then another reminder a week later, so you've got about a half a week to actually get the clips in if you need it. And again, the earlier you get them in, the less nervous I get about it. Because again, this time coming into Friday morning, even all I had was the clips from James. And this would have been a much shorter episode if Chris, Nicholas, Patrick, and Mo hadn't chimed in. And we've got a lot of other people who routinely send in clips, but I mean, life gets in the way for everybody. And like I said, not everyone can send them in every time. But if enough people are sending them in, you know, sporadically and stuff, and that averages out and stuff, then we always have plenty of clips and plenty of different viewpoints every time. And I know I've got way more listeners than are sending in clips. And again, I don't expect everybody to, but anybody who can, it's greatly appreciated. So like I said, I hope everybody found something of interest in the pre-order catalogs this month. I hope you find stuff next month and you choose to send in a clip. So with that, we'll call it an episode. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.